begin our Reformation sermon with prayer. God of all grace, you have made us to love your teachings and to meditate upon them day and night. We ask that you bless the words of today's sermon, that we may be confident of the salvation your Son has won for us, certain of the hope your Holy Spirit created in us, and eager to live according to your will, so that we may reflect your grace to others and glorify you each day of our lives. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Galatians 5, verses 1 through 6. To remind you of that account, I will read the first verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not allow anyone to put the yoke of slavery on you again. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you understand what he taught, if you understand the amount that he wrote, if you amount the fight that God used him to fight, you can say unhesitantly that the greatest theologian to exist in human history after the apostles was Martin Luther. We don't confess Martin Luther. We confess the Bible. The church had strayed from the word of God. But one of the things that made Luther an outstanding theologian was the fact that God had given him a tender conscience. He didn't lie to himself about his conscience, and he constantly looked at the salvation that he was a doctorate of. He taught this by the church's dogma. He knew there's a repristination effort now for the church to deny that. The Reformation even has had success in the church it was trying to reform. It hasn't had the success they wanted, but it has had it. He was so tender with his conscience that he always knew, I've sinned again. How do I know when I've done enough to make up for this sin? How do I know when I've done enough to make up for all my sins that I can finally break even? He knew he never could. He even would lock himself in his cell and beat himself, which was one of the popular teachings of those days, beat himself with a whip in his back. He was honest. And it was because of that that through the epistle of Romans, he came to discover we can't earn our salvation. Anytime somebody tells you you have to do X in order to help contribute, add, or earn your salvation, they are turning you to works righteousness, to the works of the law. And he figured that out. He wasn't completely there, but he had found the comfort of his troubled conscience when Tetzel was selling indulgences in Germany. And the idea behind indulgences was that there were people, like Martin Luther, who'd locked themselves up in monasteries, and they had done so many good works that not only were they holy, but they had an abundance. The Pope had the keys to the storehouse of these good works, and if you bought an indulgence, it would help get you out of purgatory. They've tried to recant that teaching now, but there's too much that exists to prove that's exactly what they were teaching. That's work righteousness. Instead of turning to Jesus, you were turning to the works of somebody else and your payment. So we post those 95 theses, and as I said at the intro to our worship service, through the controversy that ensued, it got ironed out and drilled into his head. And today, as the apostle writes about another work righteous thing, circumcision, to the Galatians we see, the Reformation reminds us not to be a slave to the debt of the law. Now, when I went to college, I noticed the very first day there were tables with people who were selling credit cards, and all the student had to do was sign up, and they could have a credit card at a phenomenally outstanding highway robbery interest rate. 
They didn't want you to make the full payment. They wanted you to make the minimum and the interest would compound. And in case your credit card got stolen, you could buy insurance. And it was based on a percentage of what you owed to your credit card. In other words, this system was designed to screw the financially bad stewards over because they would start building up an interest every month that would be higher than they made as students to pay off. That's bad stewardship. That is the debt of the law. And we cannot help but to think of the Hollywood mobster Guido saying, where's my money? You're overdue. Today I blacken your eye. Tomorrow I'll harm you in other ways. The ultimate harm of the law, if we turn to it for salvation, for the debt we owe, is an eternity in hell. And so, the Galatians were being taught there was just one little act of the law, just one. They had missed the point of circumcision, which actually pointed to the coming Savior, who would then not be born through the seed of a man, but through the virgin birth. They missed that whole point. And they made it an obligation. You just have to undergo a painful medical procedure and you'll be fine in a couple of days. But that was a work, something you had to do in order to be saved. And all the teachings that went along with it that the Judaizers were teaching, and if you read the Epistle Galatians, you learn that wasn't enough. Already they were starting to tell the Galatians, now you've got to eat the right meats and you've got to celebrate the right festivals. It was already opening up the floodgates, a debt they couldn't repay. In the section just prior to today's section, the Apostle Paul looks at Abraham and he looks at how when they tried to, instead of trusting in the Lord for the birth of Isaac, who would be the next one to pass on the promise of the Savior, he instead, uh, by his wife's plan, slept with her slave, Hagar. And he had Ishmael. Ishmael was not the one through whom the Savior would come. So the Apostle Paul looks at the birth of a slave, of a woman who was in slavery, and he compares it to the free woman, Sarah, who gives the prince. And then he says, you have been set free. That's the freedom God meant for you. And he mentions the free Jerusalem, not the physical city of Jerusalem that was enslaved by the Romans and all the other people before them, but the invisible church. And so he says in our text, it's in respect to this freedom that Christ has freed you from that slavery, that slavery of doing works for the raw, the slavery to sin, death, and the devil. So he says, start standing firm without ever stopping and never again be under the control of a yoke of slavery. There is the credit card debt. Once you sign up for it, okay, I'll just, just a little clip off the tip, just one little work of the law, you put your name on that, and the interest starts compounding in a hurry. Oh, and one more thing, and one more thing. You put an animal in a yoke to attach it to a load that it had to pull, and that load will drag you down the hill straight to hell. You can't pull it. You're not strong enough. If you think, I just got to do one little work of the law to make up for this one, you're already sinning against God in adding to your sin. So it just is a compounding interest. So the Apostle Paul says in verse 2, the first result, if we buy into that debt of the law, pay attention. I, Paul, am telling you guys that if you guys are ever receiving circumcision, then Christ will certainly be no benefit to you all. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, he says this in the present tense. If he'd have said it in the aorist tense in the Greek, then it would be the one-time action of cutting off the skin. You can't just keep cutting that skin off over and over again. He says it in the present tense, meaning they're swallowing down not just the physical surgery, but the theology that comes along with it. Something you have to do 
in order to be saved. And he says, if you're going to do that, then Christ will certainly be of no benefit to you. Think of the benefits you have in Christ. You're the member of a family at Lord of Lords Lutheran Church. You're a member of the Free Jerusalem, the invisible church. You have freedom from not having to keep the law in order to be saved. We'll get into where the law does come in in a minute. You have the benefit of knowing Jesus Christ is ruling over all creation for you, so even the things that are miserable in life, you know, are serving for your good. You have the freedom of turning to his word and always hearing God's I love you in his grace, but the minute you want to turn to just one little thing, you just got to make a decision. That's something you do. You just got to give the right offerings. That's something you do. You just have to come to church the right number of days. That's something you do. The minute you do that, you lose all the benefits of Christ because it's work righteousness. You're turning to the demands of the law to be saved. And so we see the Reformation reminds us not to be a slave to the debt of the law. Standing firm in the freedom Christ has won for you means that if you're going to lose that, if you're going to turn to work righteousness, you completely reject Christ's work. It's 100% Christ or nothing. It's like a person standing on a firm foundation. There's a little gap over here. Just going to stick my foot over here on this little wobbly pull. Just a little bit. Just 1%. I've made a decision. Look at how smart I am. I've done the right thing. And that foot's going to give way. You fall completely off of Christ. It's not a 99% Christ 1% thing. If you're going to do that, you 100% lose Christ. If you think it's a 50-50 thing, just go through the numbers. It's all or nothing. Either Christ does all the work or you lose all the benefits of Christ, including salvation. His keeping the law for you in your place. So we see work righteousness completely rejects Christ's work, period. Now he says in verse 3, the next thing, and I am solemnly testifying in regards to each and every man who is receiving circumcision that he's obligated to do the whole law. Again, the Greek participle here is present. So he's trying down the whole teaching that came with it. You have to do something. You have to do your part. And even if the person could say circumcision and that's it, that's my part. I'm saved because I've done my 3%. I went through a painful surgery. Well, guess what? Now he is made to have to completely do the whole law. Every bit of it. And if you listen to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, if you're going to turn to the law to be saved, oh boy, if you harbor hatred in your heart or just simple anger, you're guilty of murder already. That's it. You're done for. The lie isn't saving you, it's damning you. If you look at somebody lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. The minute you do not trust in God 100%, you violated the first commandment. And let's not forget, God gave all of those ceremonial laws to the nation of Israel. If your loved one died and you helped carry their body out of your house, you were unclean for the day. If you ate the wrong thing, you were unclean. If you had certain bodily functions that we say are natural, during that time you had them, you were unclean. Those laws were meant to be a burden to drill out of the people of Israel. You can't save yourself. You hardly could go a day without being unclean. Great, back up to the temple to get cleansed. It was meant to point to them the need of a savior. You can't keep the law. And so the minute a person turns to one thing, they're enslaved to the obligation of the whole law. Not do your best and God will do the rest, which is, which is a teaching that turns the law for salvation. The minute you believe that, it's you have to keep the law 100% of the time, your whole life, 
never failing once in thought, word, or deed. And if you cannot do that, which you can't, you're damned to hell. So he says the next result. Every one of you who are attempting to be declared righteous within the boundaries of the law, anything that falls within law, not the good news of God doing it for you, anything that falls within those boundaries, he said, are made to lie completely idle away from Christ. You fell away from his grace. Now, there's a beautiful picture here. One of the benefits you get when the Holy Spirit enters your heart through the good news that Christ was perfectly holy in your place and his death has removed your sin and his resurrection has given you the new person and it's your receipt that your debt is paid in full. One of the benefits you get when you hear that message and the Holy Spirit enters your heart is you are literally grafted onto the vine that is Christ. We call this the new man. The sap of Christ runs through him as does the Holy Spirit so that you do receive the blood of Christ, so that you do receive the benefits. And by the way, you also then do the works of the law, not in order to be saved. They grow as fruits of your faith. But if a person's going to turn to even just 1% of the law, snip. Now, thanks to Pastor Spouty, my predecessor here, I have two great vines in my backyard. And every year I go out and some of the vines that don't have any grapes on them, so we will have grapes, I go out and snip. I trim those. And I lay them aside. They dry up and they die. If we are going to turn even 1%, you are cut off from the vine of Christ. You're done. You can't produce the works that glorify and thank God. And you cannot even receive the blood of Christ. You can lie there like that branch and die. And so we see the Reformation reminds us not to be a slave to the debt of the law. Its compounding interest will choke and kill you. So we stand firm in the freedom Christ has won for you because work righteousness completely rejects Christ's work. Work righteousness enslaves you to the law and work righteousness cuts you off completely from the vine of Christ. And so let's get back to the freedom we have. Back to verse 1. It's in respect to this freedom that Christ has set you free from slavery. Therefore, start standing firm without ever stopping and never again be under the control of a yoke of slavery. When Luther discovered the gospel, one of the many charges that were hurled against him was, you've made salvation free. You've made it a gift. Bingo. But then they said, because you've made it a gift, people won't do good works. They'll say, God is going to forgive me, so I'll run out and embrace the sin. Never mind, that's exactly what's going on with the cell of indulgences. But brothers and sisters in Christ, as we go back to that connection of having faith and being engrafted onto Christ, there are good works that Christians do. They are not done to save. We confess, when we use the Athanasian Creed on Trinity Sunday, that when Christ returns, we will be judged by our works. But our works don't save us. Christ do. Here's how it works. If you engraft a branch onto the vine of Christ, it's going to grow fruit. So works are not done to save. God does good works through you. You grow them because you are saved. You are connected to Christ. And one of the fruits that grows out of that is standing firm in the freedom Christ has won you. How do you stand firm in that freedom? You're doing it right now. You have come to hear the word. 
Our sinful nature hates the word. We confess using Luther's explanation that we do not despise preaching or the word, but gladly hear, learn, and obey it. That's the new man. That's the fruit it grows. And when you're in the word, the Holy Spirit is arming you and strengthening your faith, connecting even tighter that connection to the vine of Christ that you've been engrafted onto so that you hear the word and you know your freedom. In your freedom, you have a lot of freedom you don't even realize and take for granted. You're free from the works of the law. You're free from the works of the law as a means for salvation. You're free. We don't have to meet on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. We don't even have to wear robes and meet in a building. All of this our congregation decides to do not as an obligation to be saved. We have freedom. And you are free to live in this society, letting the forgiveness of sins you've been given shine through as you stand firm in your freedom. But there's another benefit that comes. In verse 5, we're told, in fact, we on our part, by spirit, are eagerly awaiting an expectation of righteousness that comes from faith. The Apostle Paul here really says a mouthful. So those who are believers, by the Holy Spirit having made them believers, having engrafted them onto Christ, are eagerly awaiting something. See, the new man in you is righteous right now. When God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. He sees Christ's righteousness. You wear it like a white robe, like the bride's dress of the lamb, because you're marrying the lamb. You're married to the lamb. But you still have a sinful nature. You still sin right now. Now, because you are grafted onto Christ, the, you know, the, tra it gets translated, the word gets translated as hope. But the English word hope, eh, you know, the four years I've lived here, I go to Menards usually at least once a month to buy something, and I always sign up for that free vehicle drawing every month, and I always hope I win. I've been here nearly four years. My hope here, i got to admit to you, is one that expects to lose. That's English hope. But when you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, it's more of an expectation. You expect, because you know your sins are forgiven by that faith, you expect that on your judgment day, whether you die before Christ returns or if you and I are the last generation when Christ will return, God is going to rip that sinful nature away. Done. You'll never struggle with sin again. Like the angels, God will confirm you in your holiness so that you cannot sin. Oh, yes. And when Christ returns, he's going to give you the new heavens and the new earth and a glorified body. You will never suffer the effects and consequences of sin ever again as you and all those who are there, all who died in the faith, remain righteous, unable to sin ever again. And so one of the fruits of being debt free, besides coming to the word and being able to stand firm in your freedom, is that you eagerly await the complete righteousness Christ purchased and won and has promised to you. Last thing, last benefit, last fruit of faith, verse 6. In fact, within the boundaries of Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision continues to have any meaning. See how today people circumcising, it helps defeat an infection in the baby and stuff like that. You're free to do that or not do it. That's different. We're talking religiously circumcision in Christ. It, there's no religious value whatsoever. So he says what does have meaning, but faith which keeps proving itself at work through love. Love is a great fruit of the faith. Now, we got to understand what love is. Love is the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. That's the first table. And the second table, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, when you're right with God, because Christ has won you, the Holy Spirit has engrafted you to Christ, one of the great fruits that you have is your new man loves God and loves your neighbor. And you are here hearing the word of God today, not just to strengthen your faith, but to give the Holy Spirit the ammunition needed to pull out of your mind when God presents the opportunities for you to share the good news of salvation in Christ. The greatest thing that came out of the Reformation is that teaching that we're not saved by any work of the law at all. 100% by God's grace. Faith is a gift from God. Christ has purchased and won our righteousness. And so we see the Reformation reminds us not to be a slave to the debt of the law. Stand firm in the freedom Christ won for you because work righteousness completely rejects Christ's work. It enslaves you to the law and it cuts you off from the vine of the Christ. But works do come in your freedom. They come as fruits of being debt free. When you're, when somebody pays off your debt to that credit card company, you send them a thank you. And God works this into our hearts so that our thank you is we stand firm in our freedom. We eagerly wait the complete righteousness that will be given to us while enjoying the righteousness of the new man now. And you love God and your neighbor. Amen. And now the peace which surpasses all understandings will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.